You're listening to Trinity Fremont's Sermon Podcast, where you can hear God's Word preached each and every week. Our purpose at Trinity is to raise up Christ's followers in our families and in our communities. We pray that as you listen to this week's sermon, you'll be encouraged and equipped to live out your faith in all that you do. All right, so we're working through uh, this series, uh, the, the Tree of Life, God's promise of salvation. And as we do that, we're looking at five Old Testament stories and, and five New Testament stories that, that point us to Jesus, point us to God's plan for salvation. And so far over these last three weeks, we've made it through a whole book and a half of the Bible. Now, there are 66 books in the Bible. There are 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. We've in, in three of the five sermons, we've made it through a, cha- a book and a half of the 37 Old Testament stories. So that means we're probably going to need to get moving over these next two weeks, and we will. But, but it was really important that we started at the beginning and that we got a good foundation as we looked at God's promise of salvation. Right? It was really important for us to see this, this promised offspring of, of Eve that would eventually come and crush Satan's head or crush the serpent's head. It's important for us to see that, that Jesus is that, that substitutionary lamb that takes our place like, like, it, like the ram took Isaac's place. It's important for us to see that Jesus is our Passover lamb, just like the, the Passover lamb whose blood was shed that saved the Israelites in Egypt. Right? And that's, that's where we left off. Right? We left off with this 10th plague. And so just kind of so you get a little bit of the timeline, uh, Abraham lived at about 2000 BC. And so, so two weeks ago, we were at 2000 BC. And then we jumped 500 years from Abraham to Moses to about 1500 BC. And today we're taking another 500 year jump from Moses to today, to our story today. But, but like I said, we, we left off with this 10th plague right, with this, this, uh, this angel of death being sent into Egypt, killing all of the firstborn males, whether it be people or livestock, all the firstborn males except for those families who were covered by the blood of the Lamb. And that's where we left off last week, and again, we've got a, a big amount to cover between there and where our, our story for today. Uh, and so we see after the tenth plague that that Pharaoh's heart is finally broken, and he sends the Israelites out. He says, just get out of here. And so they, they flee Egypt. But then Pharaoh pretty quickly changes his mind, and he sends troops after them, and he goes with those troops to bring the, Egypt, or bring the Israelites back. And they end up trapping the Israelites by the Red Sea. And God, through Moses, though, ends up parting the Red Sea so the Israelites are able to walk across the Red Sea on dry land. And then as the Egyptians try and follow them through, God brings that water back over, killing all those Egyptians who are, who are trying to pursue the Israelites. And then as God leads his people, he leads them as, with a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night, and he eventually leads them to Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, and God, Moses comes down and, and speaks these commandments to the people, and they say, yes, we will do all of that. Can't wait. Will you go back up and talk to God for us and tell him that we're going to do that? And so Moses goes back up on the mountain, and he's there for 40 days, 
And the Israelites, they're like, well, we, we think God's up there, but, but you know what would be better? If, like in Egypt, if we had a God that we could see. And so they, they c- compile all of their gold jewelry, they, they put it in the fire, and they form a, a golden calf, breaking the very first commandment that they said that they would do. And so Moses comes down off the mountain, gets angry, gets furious with the people, but then eventually they, they move on, right? They, they move forward to the edge of the promised land. This, this land that was promised to Abraham, right? God promised Abraham land and, and that he would be a great nation and that he would be a blessing to all the people. And finally, they're getting to this place that is this land that has been promised to them. And they send 12 spies into the land and they, they scout the land and they come back to bring a report. And they, they have a glowing report of the land itself. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. There, there are grape clusters so big that they have to be carried on a stick between two people. But there's a problem. The cities of this land are heavily fortified, and there are giants in this land. And so 10 of the 12 spies come back, and they say, there's no way that we can win these battles. We, we cannot take the promised land. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, say, no, we need to go. This is God's battle. They ultimately decide not to go in, and because of that, God punishes them and, and forces them to wander in the desert for 40 years so that all of those who were adults at that time never make it into the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. But finally, they do make it to the promised land. Joshua leads the people into the promised land that 40 years later, and one, the one thing that God tells them to do is rid the whole land of all the people who are living there. Because they've got other gods, and if you leave them there, you're going to start to intermix and intermarry, and they're going to bring your, their gods into mix with your God, and it's not going to go well. Well, Joshua goes in, and he starts that process, but never finishes that process. And eventually, Joshua dies, and exactly what God had warned against starts to happen. Other gods start to make it into the Israelite camps. And so God sends judgment through foreign oppressors, and the Israelites start becoming oppressed by the nations around them, and they don't like that, so then they think, maybe we should repent and turn back to God, and so they do, and God sends a deliverer, a judge, and that judge brings them out of that oppression, but then that judge dies, and eventually God's people do what was right in their own eyes and start to do their own thing, and so God sends judgment through foreign oppression, And then they repent, and God sends a deliverer, and this cycle happens over and over and over through the period of the judges. But then God's people are like, but but we don't like this cycle that we're on. We want something different. And so instead of, like, turning back to God and staying focused on God, they're like, we like the system that the people around us have. We want to be like the other nations. God, we need a king instead of you as our king. We need a person that we can see as our king. And God warns them that it's not going to turn out well, but they do it anyway. Uh, Side note, if God ever warns you that something is not going to turn out well, don't do it. Uh, But they do it anyway. They they ask for a king, and so God goes and sends Samuel out. He, He anoints Saul as the first king, and things are going really well until Saul starts to kind of do things his own way. And when that happens, God removes his favor from Saul and sends Samuel out to anoint another king. And he anoints David as the future king. But now we're in this awkward time where Saul is still the king of Israel. He's still on the throne, but David is anointed as that next king. 
And in the midst of that, because they did not get all of these nations out of the promised land, they're living amongst these four nations, and they're in constant war. And when we get to our time today, and again, about 1,000 B.C., the Israelites are at war with the Philistines. And at this point, the, uh, with the war with the Philistines, David's brothers, three, his three oldest brothers are out fighting in the battle, or at least supposed to be fighting in that battle. Uh, but David's dad, Jesse, then sends David with some provisions. Take this food and make sure that my sons are okay and come back and let me know. But when David arrives on camp, he hears this booming voice coming out of the, the Philistines' champion, coming out of Goliath saying, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I, not a lost, am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now this isn't well, in this case, it is, but this, Saul doesn't, or uh, Goliath doesn't just say it one time. Goliath says this over and over and over for 40 days, and it's on the, the 40th day, we've heard that number a few times, haven't we? It's on the 40th day that David comes to camp and hears Goliath calling that out, and David gets mad. David gets holy anger burning inside of him. And, and so he goes and he's talking to the people around him saying, well, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistines and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And so as he's, as he's asking around, these soldiers overhear him and they, they send him to Saul and David says the same thing to Saul. Let no man's heart fail because of him, because of that Philistine, because of Goliath. Your servant David will go and fight this Philistine. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. So here I think we need to pause because sometimes when we watch, maybe if you've watched cartoons or when we get pictures of, of David and Goliath, sometimes we, we, we think of David as this little tiny scrawny maybe 12-year-old, right, that, that has, you know, is, is incredibly weak. But notice David's been a shepherd for a while, and he has, with his bare hand, killed lions and bears. So he's not a little weakling, right? But, but not only the, the, has your servant struck down both lions and bears, this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, right? For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And so Saul says to David, go, and the Lord be with you. And so David goes out to meet this giant. But, but Saul tries to put on all of, give David all of his armor, and it's just not going to work for David. Uh, one, it's too big, but, but also the way that David has been preparing to fight does not mesh with this, uh, th this heavy armor that's going to constrict his movement. And so instead, David just takes with him a a sling, and five stones. And as he's going out to meet Goliath, Goliath starts, starts to mark him, uh, mock him. What, what am I, some dog that you come at me with sticks? 
But then David says, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the, the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, notice David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. There is no fear in David. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. And David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. So then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took Goliath's sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. This whole scene, if you go back to the very beginning of chapter 17, starts with the champion, the Philistine champion, mocking God and calling out the Philistine army. And it ends with their champion dead. Right? There's a new champion. Now normally as we, as we finish this story, or often as we finish this story, uh, we, we say, well, what does that mean for us? And, and so often the answer is, well, you just need to be like David, and if, if you have more faith, then you can conquer your giants. If you just have more faith, then every, every giant uh, is yours to conquer. But I want, us to take, I want to take us back and remind us what is the whole point of this series that we're doing. Who, who do all of these stories point us to? The Lord. To, to Jesus, right? They all point us to Jesus and to, to what He does for us. And so, so how does the story of David point us to Jesus? Well, David foreshadows Jesus for us. Right, David, David doesn't foreshadow you or me. Really, if we were to put ourselves in the story, which I don't think we need to, but if we are to put ourselves in this story, we're one of the Israelite soldiers who's been cowering on the sidelines for 40 days. But here with the story, we get a glimpse of Jesus' mission to the cross, right? David carried a sling and stones. Jesus carried his cross. David crushes Goliath's head with, with, with his sling and his stones. Jesus, as we remember all the way back, that was prophesied in Genesis 3, Jesus crushes the serpent's head on the cross. David was the, the shepherd king of God's people, and Jesus is our good shepherd, our good king for all of his people. So then what does this mean? What does this mean for you? What does this mean for me? Again, it's not that, that you should have more faith. If you had more faith, you'd be able to conquer all of your giants. The, the point is that Jesus has already won the battle for you. Jesus has already done enough. Jesus is your champion. And at the same time, as we've kind of really quickly gone over the whole history of God's people up until this time, we see what happens when God's people disobey God's commands. 
right? And every time God's people start to do what is right in their own eyes, things go poorly for them. But also we see, we saw it with, we saw it with Abraham, we saw it with Noah, we saw it with, with Moses, we, we saw it with Joshua, we saw it with each of those judges. When God's people do what God commands them to do, things go well for God's people, right? God calls us to obedience. Now, sometimes we get a little nervous about the word obedience because we get concerned that that, that, that might kind of lead us into works righteousness, but we are really called to obedience, right? Philippians 2 says, have this mind, think like this, think like Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Pay attention to this verse, right? And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming what? Obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, right? Obedience was a key factor of Jesus' life, right? The, the Son of God was obedient to the Father, did what, what, what the Father called him to do, even when he didn't really want to. Even, even when he asked, if is there any other way that we can do this? Jesus was obedient to the Father. Obedient in a way that you and I could never fully be. But yet we're called to that obedience, and it's a, it's a life that Jesus makes possible. Because Jesus was obedient in your place, you can hear and follow the commands of God. Because Jesus is your champion, you can go into battle. And so this week, may you be obedient to God's word because Jesus was obedient and because Jesus has already won the battle, right? We have our perfect champion who went to the cross and went into the grave but then came out of the empty tomb. And on the last day, we will have an ultimate champion who will finally, fully defeat sin, death, and the devil, and will gather all of his people, all of his lambs around his throne, where we will worship him forever and ever. You have a champion in Jesus. He has already won the battle, and because he has won that battle, he makes it possible for you to live a life according to his word. And so, again, this week, may you go and live the life that he has called you to live. May you, may you look at those Ten Commandments and follow those Ten Commandments. May you, may you be a loving people. May you be a, a generous people. May you be a serving people, because that's who Jesus was. You won't do it perfectly. You can't do it perfectly. But thanks be to God that we have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen.